Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? Good morning. I can't hear myself. There I am. Good deal. How's everybody doing? I just worked up a sweat. My goodness. I got my flimsy paper towel here. This ought to be great. Awesome. Good deal. Uh, hey, this morning, uh, I'm so excited about being here this morning to talk about the Lord and all that he's doing in our lives and what we see him doing in scripture. By the way, my name is Jaron Young. I'm the student pastor here at Emmaus. And so, uh, man, I'm excited about getting in the word this morning. I hope you are too. If you want to, we're going to be at Ruth. Uh, today will be our final installment, I guess you could say, of our time in Ruth. It's been a great time walking through this, this book, this beautiful story, so much that we can gain from it. Um, and so we're going to just close out that story this morning and, and hopefully uh, we can be helped. Uh, by what we see this morning, because we're really going to just gonna step back and look at the, the big picture, and, and hopefully we can put all the pieces together in what we've seen uh, these last several weeks as we've walked through this. On a personal note, I don't know how many of you are into movies. I, I like a good movie, um, but those closest to me know how particular I can be with movies. I, I can be a little bit, well, I can be, I can be really overcritical of movies. For instance, I like the movies I watch to come to a, an ending, to, to come to a resolution. Cliffhangers, in my opinion, are not entertainment. They are torture. I don't think they need to be in movies. I think when I finish a movie, I have to walk away from that movie knowing how everything turned out. I don't want to have to make up the ending in my own mind. And thankfully, as we come to the end of, of this story, we can be gracious that, that or we can be uh, thankful for God's grace to give us the complete story of Ruth, that we can come to the ending and we can see that it actually does end. It comes to a resolution and, and we see what God is truly up to in regard to, to Naomi and Ruth. And, and, and here is the truth. God wants us. God wants us to know the, the end of this story because ultimately this story is about him. And we're going to see that today, and I hope that we can see that today. And so as we reflect on this story, this beautiful story of Ruth, again, we're going to just take a step back and, and look at the, the big picture and to see how that influences how it ends. And so there's several things, there's several takeaways that we ought to walk away from when considering this story of Ruth. And, and the first thing, if you're following along in your message notes in your bulletin, or you're going to look on the screen behind me, um, life is full of unexpected circumstances. As we reflect back on Ruth, going back to chapter 1, as we saw several weeks ago, and really have been revisiting all of Ruth the last few weeks. I mean, it was, chapter 1 was filled with a disaster after disaster. You had the famine. Uh, you have Elimelech trying to, to, to find some temporary relief. Takes his wife and his boys to a foreign place in Moab. Instead of finding that temporary relief, we know that they found what seems to be a permanent home and, and rather than in finding temporary relief, like I said, they, they go and they, they find a permanent home there. Naomi loses her husband, Elimelech, and, and her sons, they marry these foreign wives. These wives are barren. They're not able to provide children for Naomi to be a grandmother. Um, Naomi then loses these sons. And so again, it's, it's one disaster after another. And, and Naomi has just lost her family but she's also lost a heritage. She's lost the means to survive. She's lost a future security. This truly is, I don't know that we can truly grasp how desperate of a situation this has become for Naomi. And, and then starting in chapter two and really throughout the rest of the story, 
We keep seeing more and more potential for hope, but even still, with every glimpse of hope, we still have uncertainty that comes right alongside this hope. And and we see that Ruth meets Boaz. He becomes a potential and ideal redeemer, a resolution for Ruth's widowhood. widowhood. And, And yet Boaz still, as we saw, may lose out to this other gentleman, this closer relative, but as it turns out, this man was only interested in Naomi's land, not interested in Naomi and Ruth, and, and not to celebrate this man's selfishness, but it, it worked out for the better because Boaz gets to marry. It opens the door for Boaz to marry Ruth. And so, again, with each new progression, there seems to be new hope. There seems to be potential, but then we still have another problem. It's Ruth. We, we've been led to believe that she cannot have children, And so as we stand back and we identify all the different working parts of this story, it is marked with a lot of heartache. And why such difficulty for Naomi, one would begin to ask. Why such heartache for her family? Why would God allow all this pain, all of this loss? Um, Reflect back to what Naomi, several things that she said in chapter 1. Was she right all along? Had the Almighty testified against her? Had he really dealt bitterly with her and brought this calamity Upon her life, this is these are hard questions to ponder, and maybe some of you this morning, and probably most of us, have asked similar questions as we've as we reflect on what in the world is going on in my life, and and so what about these struggles in Naomi's life? And so, with that, let's let's turn now to Ruth four. If you're not there yet, let's look at verse thirteen as we begin to to see how this story has unfolded and now comes to a conclusion says in verse 13 of Ruth 4, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So Boaz makes good on his promise. And just as Ruth figuratively, if you remember in chapter 1, Ruth clung. Owen talked about that. Ruth clung to Naomi as they returned back to Bethlehem. And now Boaz is literally clinging to Ruth as his bride. And what's more... They have a child, not by accidents, not by accident, not by happenstance, but by the very hand of God. All of those years of barrenness are over. Let's look at verse 14 of Ruth 4. It says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. And he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. As we come to the end of the story, it's it's almost interesting and intriguing that the attention is turned towards Naomi in chapter 4 here. In chapter 1, you remember Naomi had come back to Moab, and she was telling these women, call me Mara, call me Mara, because... The Almighty had, had dealt bitterly with her. She also said that she had left Bethlehem full, and upon returning back from Moab to Bethlehem, she said, I'm coming empty. And, and now these same women in chapter 4, at the end of the story, are blessing the Lord, for in Naomi's emptiness, the Lord has, has made her full. And so what we see is there's a complete reversal of Naomi's circumstances. And so as we enjoy the, the ending, the happy ending of this story, we can walk away encouraged and refreshed knowing that Naomi herself 
was restored. And she was encouraged as she walked through so much heartache but comes to the end of the story to see that the Lord has restored her. And so again, what else are we to learn as we reflect on what God was doing in all of this? And, and the first thing that we can be reminded of is this, is that suffering always hurts, but suffering will help. Suffering hurts, but it will also help. And, and just that idea, being helped by pain, being helped by tragedy and loss, that goes against every logical fiber of our being. And so how in the world could suffering help us The first thing that we see is suffering helps us because it teaches us to trust God's plan. When when our eyes are focused only on circumstances, it's it's easy to ask those why questions, right? It's it's easy to wonder if there's any real purpose in this chaos. It's easy to doubt God's care. It's easy to doubt his love for us because that's what Naomi did. If we go back to chapter one, Naomi was just questioning everything and trying to make sense of all the things that were happening in her life. But this story reminds us that God is always working and that we can trust him no matter how bad it appears. And so God can redeem. He can make something out of nothing. In fact, that's that's his nature. From the very beginning, he has always been doing the seemingly impossible. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, a text we're all mostly familiar with in Genesis 1 verses 2. And it says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Again, God has always always been in his nature to do the seemingly impossible. He has been bringing something from nothing, and he certainly has done that for Naomi here. And we can be reminded that we can trust God, just like the old song says, that when darkness seems to hide his face, we rest on his unchanging grace. It's the essence of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that we trust the Lord with, with all of our heart, and we lean not on our own understanding, right? We don't lean on what, what it appears to be. We don't lean on what we, we see, because it looks dark, it looks tragic, it looks like there's pain all around us. We don't lean on what we're trying to understand about the circumstances or cause to trust in the Lord, to trust his plan. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your straight path, make your path straight. And so suffering teaches us to trust God's plan, but suffering also helps us to treasure God's blessings with greater gratitude. Remember, Naomi had two sons in Bethlehem, and upon going to Moab, they marry, but they cannot have grandchildren. And as we learned, Naomi, in that situation, loses any hope of grandchildren, but also a future security with their passing. And so Naomi is feeling robbed by the very hand of God. But in the process, what does God provide for Naomi? He provides a loyal daughter-in-law that loves her dearly and would ultimately bring about that long-awaited grandchild. Remember what the women said to, to, to Naomi in Bethlehem when they returned, or excuse me, at the end of this story, in verse 15 that we've already read, Ruth 4, it says, Your daughter-in-law, speaking of Ruth, loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. Now, that's an interesting statement that these women are saying to Naomi. At the end of this story, after, after God has brought restoration, these women are telling Naomi, God has brought you a daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. This, this idea of, of seven sons was a reflection on the ancient Israelite view that seven sons was like the ideal family. It was, it was an ideal family. In other words, it was just considered a, a great blessing. 
But the truth of what these women are reminding Naomi on that day when when the story came to full fruition is that Ruth alone, without the grandchild that is sitting in her lap, without that grandchild, Ruth alone has far more value than seven sons. She'd lost two, but she gained something far more valuable in Ruth. Why is Ruth so valuable? When you reflect on Ruth's character, as we have done throughout these, these weeks, she has incredible character. And, and throughout the story, we have seen that Ruth is a great expression of the greatest commandments that God had given the people of Israel. And we know what those commandments are. It says, um, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. So Naomi greatly benefits from Ruth's commitment to these commands. And additionally, let's, let's also be clear that Naomi is not, she's not forgotten what has happened in her past. She still is greatly aware of all of the pain, of all of the loss that she has walked through in her past. No one ever forgets those things. But as she holds that baby in her lap, catch this, as she's holding that baby in her lap, the past loss has helped her treasure the current restoration in ways she could not without experiencing that loss. Loss teaches us to have greater gratitude for the things that God has given us, for his blessings. These women were helping Naomi to see that God was not absent in that pain, but working for her good. Much of this story of Ruth has been such an encouragement to Christine and I, and I I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time talking about me, but this the story of, of Christine and I that we walked through is it, it just speaks so well to what is happening here. Much much of of our married life in, in trying to have kids, we have uh, fought through a lot of, of infertility for years and, and hopeful pregnancies turning into miscarriages. And and from the beginning doctors telling us um, that they had no explanation uh, for why we could not have kids. And, and after years of trying and a miscarriage, um, God gives us Nathan. Now, this is a, a, a cheap plug here from my family when I'm preaching, right? But I'm going to do it anyway. So um, just so great, grateful for what God has done in, in our family, in our life. And I, I hope it will be an encouragement to you. But, but God gives us Nathan. And, and as, a, as a reflection of what we're talking about here with Naomi, I, I can't imagine loving Nathan any more than I do right now. But I, but I know without a doubt that my love for Nathan right now would not be what it was, what, would not be what it is without our past pain and infertility and miscarriage. That, that pain, that loss has, has influenced the way I am grateful for what God has done in our family with Nathan and, and to carry that, that story further, after Nathan, uh, we wanted more children, and, and yet still further struggled with, with infertility, and our hearts began to be drawn to adoption. And unfortunately, that process was, was very hard, and it was very emotional, and nothing seemed to be working out like we hope. So we, we transitioned with a, another adoption agency, and this agency was much different than any agency that we had, had encountered, um, because they worked with mothers who wanted an open adoption, meaning they wanted to still have contact with their child after they lovingly chose adoption for their child. And so they were given the ability to choose the family in which would ad- adopt their child. 
her, her, the, the mom's child. And it's just a really interesting situation. And so, so we provide our information. We put our profile out there, our picture. And I'm thinking, man, what? Mom is not going to want to pick us. We're just the perfect family. And months go by, and we hear nothing. And you start wondering, okay, something's wrong with us. Do we look funny? Is something on our profile? What is, what, am I the problem here? What is going on here? Months go by, we hear nothing. And then finally... Um, we, we finally hear back from this agency, and a mother, uh, you think about how humbling a mother choose us to adopt her child. It was exciting, and yet, ironically, uh, at the same time, Christine get, gets pregnant, and so we're like, this is awesome. We're, we're going to get two kids, right? This is great, and, and in that process, we find out uh, from this agency that they do not allow a, fem- a family who's seeking to adopt to have any current pregnancies or to be expecting uh, through that process. And so when we found that out, we, we just begged them, can you, can you bend the rules just a little bit for us, knowing what a, what a proneness we have towards miscarriage. Not, you're not trying to predict that, but that's, once you've had a miscarriage, you, just, you fear is it going to happen again. And so we're just like, hey, can, can, we just, can we walk through this a little bit further? And the, the agency said no. And they have reasons for that, and, and we respect that. Um, but we had to, they had to cancel that pending adoption. And it wasn't but a few weeks later. Christine miscarried. And so we were, we were devastated. Uh, we went from two kids to one kid to none. And we were beside ourselves. What in the world, God, is going on here? What, what is happening? Why, why would you allow this to happen. And, and I would have to think that this is very much what Naomi was walking through. You can identify with Naomi in this story. You, you've asked those questions. You've, you've had questions about the whys and all the things that are happening in your life. But again, eventually, by God's prom, uh, providence, a good friend of ours contacts us, knowing that we were wanting to adopt, was aware of a young mother who was ch- wanting to find a family that would adopt um, her child. Uh, we met, we hit it off, We went to doctor's appointments, and Christine got to be in the delivery room to be the first one to hold Jeremiah. And and I can't tell you what a roller coaster of emotions all of that was. And and again, I love Jeremiah with all my heart, but I know my love for him right now is impacted and influenced by all of that pain, by all of that hardship that we walk through and the struggles we had with adoption. God is good. Guys, God is good to give us suffering, to allow us to walk through those times, to help us treasure his blessings like we ought to. He is generous and kind, as it says in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Naomi treasures that child sitting on her lap in ways she couldn't have without her past pain and loss. And some of you are sitting here and you're thinking that story, and you're like, Jaren, that's great for you but I'm still in the midst of heartache and pain and I've not yet seen this restoration. I've not seen the evidence of what God is doing. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's still chaotic to me. And I I want to further encourage you and really all of us this morning that, that yes, suffering teaches us to be grateful, to have more gratitude for the blessings that God has given us, but suffering, more importantly, helps us to treasure God as our greatest blessing. Suffering teaches us to treasure him more supremely. In chapter 1, we see that Naomi was losing one thing after another, but as we reflect on the whole story, the one thing Naomi never lost was God. 
the one thing she never lost was God. He was always there. He was always working behind the scenes to take care of her needs. He was working all along, as he does with you and I, so that Naomi would see that through plenty or even with nothing, that God was all that she needed. She claimed that she had left Bethlehem full and had come back empty, but again, this perspective was limited only to what she could see. In her pain, in her loss, she could not see the Lord. She could not see God. And all too often, we allow visible circumstances to influence what we understand about invisible realities. We allow the things that we can see to influence what we know to be true that yet can't be seen but can only be seen through faith. God did not abandon Naomi. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, un- that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Suffering, trials, difficulty. They have a way of shattering any dreams we have of trying to secure our best life now. By God's grace, through suffering, we realize that our best life is not now. It is later. Suffering teaches us these things. God calls the storms of Naomi's life. God calls the trials and the difficulties of our life. He calls them light. He calls them momentary. Certainly, they do not feel light. Certainly, they do not feel momentary. But in comparison to what the suffering is preparing for us, those storms, those trials, those difficulties that you have endured or that are just around the corner for you are as nothing. They cannot touch, they cannot compare to what will soon be revealed to us. The weight of the glory of God that will be ours forever is worth whatever sufferings is required for us to see it and to love it. And so may we be people who would boldly pray, God, do whatever it takes in my life that might bring greater glory and honor to your son Jesus. Through whatever means necessary, make me a person who is more committed to proclaiming and displaying Jesus than I am committed to my temporary comfort and pleasure. What if, what if, Emmaus, we began desiring and praying for things that we would be grateful for seeking on that day when we finally see Jesus face to face? In eternity, when the unseen becomes seen, we will thank God for our sufferings. When we see him, when we fully see the unseen, we will thank God for our sufferings, especially for what it accomplished in us, but also what it accomplished in others. There's another story I want to share you about a friend of mine. His name was Ross Bain. And if you've been around Emmaus for more than 10 years, you, you know Ross, you remember him. Uh, he and I were friends. We didn't have much in common. Uh, but, our, but our relationship went beyond fleeting interests. And I, I got to know him many years ago when our men's ministry began to take a bigger footprint here at Emmaus. And even though I was a pastor at Emmaus, he saw me for who I was first, just another guy wrestling with sin, fighting to hope in Jesus and, and there was a lot I appreciated about my friendship with him. He had, a, he had a perspective that he had learned through suffering. You see, Ross 
battled cancer. And to his dying day, those of you who are close to Ross, you remember him saying this over and over again, that, that cancer saved his life. He said that over and over again. His favorite verse was Romans 8.18. And he says, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Ross learned the value of eternal things of God through his suffering. He knew the things of this world, which sometimes causes heartache and pain, could not come close to the glory of heaven that he is getting to enjoy right now. And, and for those of us who, are, who still remain, we're, we're still struggling through life. We're fighting for faith through everything that we walk through. We, we treasure promises like Romans 8.28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But quite honestly, oftentimes, we don't understand when what we determine to be good and what God determines to be good to be different. We struggle. We can't make sense of it. And, and so we, we consider a few verses later what says, well, who, who shall be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so we, we, we strain for faith. We, we hope in what God is doing in us. Yet what if we understood verses like Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.31 through the lens of God's glory? Could we possibly, could we possibly long for a good that left God out of the equation. In, in other words, could we long for God to be for us so we wouldn't have to be for him? In other words, having it our way at the expense of it being his way. Could we long for a life where we were the captain of our own ship, the author of our own story, and call that good? Yes, it's very likely. We're very good at doing such things. That comes natural for sinners. And yet God is so good and gracious to rescue us from such perspectives. And, and he often rescues us through suffering. It's, it's through suffering that we truly realize what is really good. Not our comfort or our plans for our life, but God's glory being displayed in our life for others to see how glorious he really is. I've got a lot of stories this morning. I had lunch with a friend, a ministry friend, just this this past week, and he was telling me about a really neat opportunity he had to, he went to a conference, and he, he got to have lunch with some really prominent figures in, in current church life, and, and their names are Jared Wilson and Ray Ortland. You may not know those names. I'm not name dropping because I wasn't there, but t- those, those names mean something to me. I know who those guys were, so I was, really, I was like, wow, you got that opportunity? That's really cool. And he, he's telling me about this lunch, and the gentleman named Ray begins engaging with my friend and asking him about life and, and just bluntly says, hey, what are some of your current struggles in life and ministry? And so my friend just begins to unload and begins to tell him struggles, one namely about how his wife had, has been wrestling with, with cancer just recently in six months. And no lie, Ray looks at my friend and says, oh, how wonderful. I'd like, I'm going to slap you across the face. What are you talking about? Wonderful. There was a very uncharacteristic response that we would often think we would be getting once we're talking about such heartache. But what if it is wonderful? What if we had eyes of faith to see that the sufferings of our lives are truly not worth comparing to the glory that we will soon behold? 
What if our sufferings really are preparing something far more wonderful than the best life we could ever hope to have that is absent of all suffering? This is the good that Romans 8, 28 is talking about and that God is working to bring to completion. Not our comfort, not all our dreams being granted, but that we would enjoy God supremely. This is our highest and best good, that we would treasure God supremely. To enjoy God and to enjoy him supremely is far more wonderful than the best life we could ever hope to have. That's why my friend, Ross, he could say things like cancer saved his life. And so what is for our good and what is for God's glory? They are not at war with each other. They are one and the same. Our good, our best life now is to know fully the glory of God and to make his glory known to others. And it's through suffering that we truly come to treasure this because we realize through suffering that it's the only thing that truly matters. Suffering definitely hurts, but it helps. It helps us to trust God's plan. It helps us to treasure his blessings more accurately, but it also helps us to treasure God as our greatest blessing. And as we come to the end of the sermon here, towards the back end of the sermon, we really haven't even still reached the pinnacle of where we're going this morning. Because finally, we may never know what God will accomplish through our suffering. Again, so far in the sermon, we've, we've addressed the struggles of Naomi, the restoration that she eventually received. But there is another story that is being told here. If we're not careful, we start to think that the story of Ruth is merely about the redemption of Naomi by giving her a grandchild. And that certainly is a part of this story. But that's not the whole story. The child that would redeem Naomi from all of the chaos of her past would also redeem by bringing forth another redeemer. Go back to Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. Ruth's child's name was Obed. Obed was a famous grandfather. Look at verse 17 of Ruth 4. It says, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ruth's child, Obed, would grandfather one of the most prominent characters in Scripture, David the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, the eventual king of Israel. And despite his many sins, he repents, and he is known as a man after God's own heart. But even still, there's something even more significant about King David because Scripture prophesies to us that the Messiah, the one who would come to rescue his people from their greatest enemy, sin and death, and that Messiah would come from the family lineage of David. John Piper says this, the story of Ruth is about something larger than one family and their sorrows and joys. It is about God's plan to glorify his grace in the son of David, the Messiah, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Ruth and Naomi and Boaz are caught up in something of eternal significance. If you look at the back end of Ruth, you find a genealogy in verses 17 through 22. That same genealogy is found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, which is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes from all of this chaos in Naomi's life. Naomi had no idea that behind the scenes, God was working through her suffering, not only to bring her redeemer to restore what she had lost in life, 
but more importantly, a redeemer to rescue her from her own sinful brokenness so that she could be restored eternally in the next. And not only hers, but the sin and the brokenness of all the world, us included. We all benefit from Naomi's suffering. Through her suffering, God sent us a savior who would suffer for us. God was not absent but very present and in control of every single detail of Naomi's life. Nothing, church, nothing was in vain in Naomi's life. God was working through Naomi to bring himself to us. And so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? One, God is not distant from us in our own suffering. The gloriousness of his coming to us is that he enters our suffering and lived it. Listen to this. God got inside the womb of a woman. There's a reason why we don't remember that happening in our life. Must be pretty traumatic, I guess. God got inside the womb of a woman, took on flesh, lived among us, so that he could show us a couple things. One, Isaiah 53, that he is acquainted with our griefs and sorrows, to show us that he can sympathize with us, in our weaknesses, that's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And yet as we read that passage, even through it all, Jesus, God in the flesh, never sins. He never chose his own glory over the Father like we also naturally do as sinners. He lived righteous, perfect in every way. Sometimes in our suffering, we feel abandoned by God. But here's the reality. For all of mankind, we were the ones who initially abandoned him. We rebelled. We turned. And on our own, we have no hope of getting back to God, namely because we don't want to get back from God, get back to God. That's why we rebelled in the first place. God got in the way of what we wanted for ourselves. We wanted what we thought was for our good, our glory, our way, not his. Romans 3.21 tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and 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 instead we've settled for our own. We've pursued our own, and yet still God has done the unimaginable. Not only was Jesus acquainted with our griefs and sorrows, able to sympathize with us in our weakness, but he was willing to take on this rebellion. He was willing to take on the sins of people that were far from God, people like Ruth, people like you and me, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were his enemies, while we were in rebellion, while we did not want him in our life, we wanted our own glory, not his. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. He owned our rebellion against him, and he placed it on his son Jesus, the great, 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 great grandson, or grandson, yes, grandson of Ruth. He poured his justice and his wrath for our rebellion on Jesus as though he was the enemy, not us. And in return, God gives us a righteous life, the righteous life of Jesus, as though we had never rebelled so we can receive the right to be called a child of God. For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God is not surprised by our sin, nor is he surprised by our suffering. 
He is always working. That's what this story teaches us, but it teaches us another thing of much more significance. Most importantly, it shows us that he's not only working, but he has already finished the work through his own suffering on the cross. So we ourselves, along with Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, can fully and completely be redeemed. So as we wrap up this morning, let us, let us not forget that you and I, we are Ruth. We are Ruth. Ruth was far from God, a Moabite foreigner among a people who did not know God. Listen to this. God in his grace brought a famine. God brought a famine so that Ruth might be brought near to him, to know him, to serve him, and to love him but also to play a vital part in glorifying God in the redemption of this world. This is an amazing story of, yes, how God restores his people in this life, but ultimately he has provided a way for all of us to be restored eternally with him. God is good, and he is kind. And so as we often do, as we reflect on the up, in, and realities of what we are called to do as Emmaus, as we think about up, We asked the question this morning, are you far from God? Does that question seem to ring true for you this morning? I hope you see that God wants you to be brought near and he will do whatever means necessary, most importantly has done the thing necessary for you to be brought near through his son, Jesus Christ. Will you turn from yourself and will you trust Jesus? For those others of you in this room, you're trusting Jesus, but yet that question feels far from God, that your circumstances are telling you a different story of what you know to be true. The calling to you is the same as well. Turn from yourself. Rest in who Jesus is and what he is doing. Let the truths of scripture cause you to reflect and hope on what you yet can't see. The end reality, are you, are you trusting Jesus daily? Are you surrendering your life to him daily? Remember, as we see in this story, he wants to use you. He wants to use your circumstances, not so that you will just be comforted in this life, but so that he will be glorified beyond what you can imagine and that you could realize that that truly is the best good for you, that he would be your highest treasure your greatest treasure in this life. I call you to trust him. Remember his promises. And and as we leave this place this morning and we, we ponder and think about what this means for the out reality in our life, are are we seeing the roots that God has put in our lives? Are are we seeing the roots that God has put in our lives? Remember who you were. You are Ruth. You were far from God. And he has pursued you to bring you near. Will you also remember that God has put roots in your life so that you might see them, reach out to them, and share the hope that you have in the God who has loved you but also loves them. And as that prayer that, that Owen has shared with us before, that we would ask God to open a door, that he would open our eyes and that he would open our mouths as we leave this place, as we remember the goodness of our God, not only to restore in this life, but most importantly, to restore us eternally, and that he calls us to look for the roots in our lives to share that hope that we have.
I pray we'll be encouraged and we'll be helped by that this morning. Let's pray together. Uh, Before I do, just as you reflect on the word this morning and how how the Holy Spirit is using that to challenge you and convict you and comfort you, um, we're getting ready to sing a song about our living hope. And that's the truth this morning is we do have a hope that is alive and well. And the things of our life are not in vain. And the testimony of Jesus Christ is not in vain. It is working and it has worked and it has accomplished all that is needed for us to be made right with God. As we sing, would you just cry out to the Lord? Owen's going to be down here at the front. If you want someone to pray with you, feel free to do that. We're going to take the offering as well. If those of you would like to help us with that, do that during that time. And and as soon as the song is over, you're, you're just dismissed to go and to ponder anew all that God has done for you that you might see what he wants to do in and through your life for others. God, we thank you so much for the truth that we have in your word and how it declares to us that you are alive and that you have done all things that is necessary for us to know you, but to know that you love us. And that is good because we have done everything to get away from you. We have done everything to rebel against you because we've wanted our own glory instead of yours. But God, we know where that glory, that self-glory leads to. It leads to death and destruction separation from you. So God, you are good and you are kind to open our eyes, to see the need we have for a Savior in your Son, Jesus. And I pray this morning that for those of us who believe will be encouraged about what you have done and what you are doing to point us back to you, that we might live the life you've called us to, to to seek out and to point others to you. And, And for those this morning who feel far from God because they've never sought salvation in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you out of their desperation and they would find that you are a living hope. Lord, we thank you for your grace in our life. Encourage us this morning as we sing these truths and are reminded about who you are and what you've done. In your name we pray, amen.